Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills the marketeers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow. To ensure marketeers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. Today's podcast is a podcast of personal understanding. It's slowing the fuck down. A terminology coined by today's guest, Emma Harris, following an incident. But before I welcome the wonderful human being that is Emma Harris onto the podcast, let me tell you why it's important for us to face into the importance of slowing down. Our profession is renowned for being fast-paced, challenging, yet rewarding. However, My want is for marketeers to have both a successful and fulfilling career in this challenging yet rewarding profession. Not only have marketeers' roles increased in accountability, but so has the breadth and the skills required to do them. This can cause overwhelm. And not forgetting, a role of marketeers is only one part of our lives as a whole. We also need to consider our lives as parents, friends, children, and much, much more. Today's guest knows too well the impact when you've been doing too much for too long. Emma is the founder in chief of Glow London, a brand consultancy that connects brand and culture to drive performance as part of Planet K2 group of companies. She started at FMCG before spending a decade as the sales and marketing director for Eurostar, commercially transforming the business and gaining a reputation as an outstanding leader with the drive and ability to drive growth and deliver systemic change. She's the trustee for the Marketing Academy Foundation and spends loads of her time mentoring young women and training the marketing talent of tomorrow, as well as being a mum of four. Emma had the reputation for being a force of nature who was dangerous to be with on a school night until a health crisis in 2022 changed her perspective and led her to begin a movement to help people. Hashtag slow the fuck down. Emma, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So as always with the podcast, we always start with a big juicy question. And today's big juicy question is pretty damn juicy. What does slowing the fuck down mean to you? Well, a lot, which I'm sure I'll explain later, but from sort of a big picture, for me, slowing the fuck down means prioritising the things that matter, which we often don't do in this crazy world we all live in. Making better choices and recognising you have choices, because I think often in this world we think we don't have a choice, but actually we do. And paying more attention to ourselves, to our minds and our bodies. Those are sort of three big chunks. So it doesn't mean stopping. When I talk about slowing the fuck down to a lot of senior people I can see their eyes glaze over as they're secretly thinking actually I need everyone to speed the fuck up but I do think that's because if you do slow the fuck down if you do do those three things prioritize the right things make better choices and pay more attention you will effectively be more productive so it is speeding the fuck up but that's not for me the right message at the moment not the right message at the moment Tell me more. I just, well, our industry, uh, most corporate environments, but I think marketing particularly, there is an enormous risk of burnout for a lot of people. Everyone I speak to at the moment is absolutely exhausted. And I think we're all suffering from this sort of massive COVID hangover where during lockdown, there was a real change in expectation of the way people work. And that back to back to back to back. It's not like, you know, a lot of us weren't working from home before, but suddenly this expectation of back to back to back and people being expected to be available at all time because you were at home. It's like, well, if you're not answering the phone, where the fuck are you? Has changed the way we work. 
And, you know, you think about some of the things we used to do that have gone from in-person to online, where, for example, a lot of conferences now are still online, where you'd maybe have, you know, travel to another country, do a couple of nights away, have time to acclimatise and prepare and meet the speakers and go out for dinner. Now you're sort of back to back either side of a two hour keynote. I mean, it's relentless. And that life where some of us, you know, you get to three o'clock, you haven't done a wee, you haven't had a glass of water, you haven't had anything to eat and you're just sat at your desk. I feel like that is the norm for a lot of people and something needs to change. So that's why for me, speed the fuck up does not sound like the right message at the moment. Although, of course, our ambition is always to be better at what we do and better people, better wives, better parents, better friends, better daughters. It's not saying stop being you. It's just saying take care. Yeah, take care. And I think well, start being you, start doing you, isn't it? It's absolutely, as you just said, it's the prioritization, it's the choice. And I always say to everyone, you always have a choice. Yeah. Even if your choice is to do nothing or say no, it's still a choice. Absolutely. For me, one of my big things is about living people in cause or effect. You know, are you in cause or are you in effect? And if you're in cause, people that are in cause tend to be much more in control. People that are in effect are like the people that will, that's not fair. And why has this happened? And I didn't want this. And it's everyone else's fault. And those people, we all know them that sort of live constantly in effect. Those mood hoovers, the sort of negative naysayers. Whereas if you choose to live in cause, then the three questions you can ask yourself, no matter what is going on, is number one, what did I do to create this situation? Because we all have contributed towards anything that's happened to us. What can I learn from what's happening at the moment? And what choices are available to me now to get out of this? And those are the three questions. You live like that, no matter what's going on, then you're much more in control and you recognise the choices that you have. Couldn't agree more. And I think it comes back to the third point that you made around paying more attention, because when you are in tune with yourself, you are in that cause state as you describe it. You can feel when you're starting to feel overwhelmed or you're feeling a bit more anxious or you need to get off the wheel, as I say. And if you're not listening or paying attention to yourself, you're not going to need to be able to reassess and reprioritize. They all kind of come hand in hand, don't they? Spending a bit of time working out what is most important because a lot of us are kind of drifting through life, prioritizing things that aren't actually that important to us and therefore making the wrong choices. And in doing that, not paying attention. So if you think about till very recently, for me, my obsession was my business, all my clients being happy, chasing the dream. So when I was working for other people, it was the status, you know, what's my job title? How big is my budget? How many people am I responsible for? And making sure the business grew and grew and grew and grew. And then when it was my own business, it was winning awards and winning counts and growing revenue. I can't even imagine what I meant now. But mm. Because really the only thing that is important is my family and my kids and love and self-acceptance. And that's the quest. I say this, I've got a 21-year-old and I say this to him all the time. He's on this journey. He's within a very large media organisation and he's having one of those, what's the quest for me? You know, I see all these people around me, no matter how much money they earn, they're still unhappy. So am I just trying to be them? You know, I keep saying to him, your quest is for self-love, is for self-acceptance, is to prioritise the things that are really important to you and build a life around that. And God, I wish someone had said that to me when I was 21. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I've been on a journey of personal development. Obviously, that's why I'm so passionate about it now, thinking about the role that marketers have to make them whole. And a key pillar of that is 
personal understanding you know do you know what drives you what your strengths are what your values are mm. what your purpose is why you get out of bed every morning what you're working towards it's fulfillment what you want in your life what you want out of your life to put that control back in to do the work as you say with self-acceptance of the things that aren't always a positive thing that may make you spiral that you know why they make you spiral or those limiting beliefs that you carry all of that you know we're all works in progress but I don't think enough time and energy is put into personal understanding as that it should be and back to your point about burnout so I did three episodes on burnout back to back and actually burnout was a request from some marketers saying so many as you said so many people in our profession are burning out I think I'm burning out could you do episodes on burnout? And the common themes that I saw around those episodes were the people that have that drive. So people please a driver or do more or want to keep moving forward, coupled with just extreme periods of doing too much. And at some point, something gave. So I think Mm. it's about understanding everyone's got a different size plate, in my opinion. Everyone's got a different size plate. So it's about understanding how much one can put on one plate and also what those things are on the plate and how they're going to affect you. And I think it takes a long time to get there, to get that Mm. level of understanding. I've been doing a lot of talking recently as well about the bit that almost comes after that which is why are you making those decisions? What are the decision making based on? Because often those choices that we're making are based on thoughts in our head that we think are real but aren't. So the voices in our head, the pressure we put on ourselves that doesn't really exist. We all have the negative voices. We all suffer from imposter syndrome. I always say, unless you're someone like Donald Trump, who probably doesn't ever question where he is in the world. I always say Barack Obama would have walked into the Oval Office and gone, oh my God, in his head. But Donald Trump would have thought, yeah, I should have been here ago i'm sorry about my impressions they're terrible but my point is that the voices in our heads that are constantly telling us to drive and push and that we're not good enough a big thing of what everyone else would think if i don't go to that event what would everyone think of me and actually breaking down the reality of those thoughts because often they're catastrophizing if we don't go to that the biggest business deal in the world is going to happen and I'll have missed out or everyone in the whole room will be talking about the fact that I'm not there I mean that just doesn't exist we imagine often that a lot of other people are thinking about us when really everyone else is just thinking about themselves most of the time people don't have the capacity to think about other people as much and even if they do who cares Mm. I don't know if you've ever listened to Jay Shetty or read any of his books he wrote a great book because he spent three years as a monk and one of the things he talks about in connection to this your thoughts and feelings don't exist is I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I'm who I think you think I am. So not only are we obsessed with those voices in our heads that don't exist, because the only thing that actually is real is the present, but we're worrying about our own thoughts and feelings, making up other people's thoughts and feelings that also don't exist. I mean, it's utter madness. And we forget to notice that they're just thoughts. And the minute you disassociate from that thought, you know, if you catch yourself in a moment of thinking, oh, if I don't go to that, then the whole world will implode. And just going, oh, yeah, that's just a thought. That's interesting. I'm thinking that. The minute you go, oh, it's a thought. It's not me or it's not reality. You've kind of punctured the thought, the power of it. Because sometimes when you're just hearing that voice, it's so overwhelming. The power of it, it's like putting a pin in a balloon, goes away certainly not as powerful you can then go hello thought that's really interesting why are you making me think that oh right okay there's always a positive intention but it's about not making a choice based on those mad thoughts and being in control of what those thoughts are 
That's such great advice. Even as you're describing that, I'm thinking about something that I've got ruminating in my head at the moment. And mm. just by using that methodology of going, it's just a thought. And a lot of what that thought is, is actually assumptions. It's not based on fact. And if you follow that thought down the road, you'll get to some utter madness. If I don't get to that event, or if I don't answer that, if I don't go to that, people think I'm skiving. My reputation will be damaged. I'll end up losing my business. I'll end up losing my house. Me and my kids will be on the streets. I mean, it's not literal like that. But at some point down the road, that's why the thoughts are mad, because they're based on sort of catastrophic fears that don't exist, that in some way have been put in our heads to protect ourselves. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say. You know, they're there mm. to keep us safe. Those spiraling thoughts or those X plus Y must equals Z is there because of previous life events, but they don't mm. always mean that the same outcome is going to happen. It is about realizing it's a thought. And I'll often say, you know, thank your brain for the thought. Mm. Thank you. I know you're trying to keep me safe, but actually I'm okay. Narrative back to yourself really does help with moving past that spiraling internal narrative for sure. Absolutely. A really great exercise to do is to think about, like you mentioned, people pleaser. So I've got a massive people pleaser. Funny that, can't bear to say no, always over worrying about what's going on for everyone else. And sometimes it doesn't serve me. So there are occasions where, and I identify people please, and I know people please, and I love her. And, you know, she makes us popular. She's the person who's got loads of empathy and sympathy and people like being around. But I also have, and you may have met this one as well, Abby, kick ass. Mm. So I've also got kick-ass who doesn't take shit from anyone and doesn't care what anyone else thinks. And it's just about in those moments of recognising whose thought is that? What thought is that? Oh, actually, yeah, that's people pleaser. <laughs> Don't need people pleasing right now because I need to make a better choice for myself. So I'm going to give the mic to kick-ass who's going to make the decision for me. And they're all you. You can almost imagine schizophrenia is where those different personalities within us because of trauma the core which is sort of the you has broken down so much that it's gone into those different personalities but actually you can use understanding those different personalities to your advantage when you need to make better choices does that make sense completely makes sense and you're right at the core of it is trauma you know if you think about why you have certain drivers or certain beliefs or certain things that trigger you it's because of a lived experience it's because of a trauma Mm. and it takes the work to understand what that is and why you react in a certain way i massively have a people pleaser but i also know where it came from and being able to have that level of understanding does really help you to move past quicker not always because i still spiral about many things and to your point spiraling when you take a thought and you catastrophize it all the way down Mm. to losing your job or losing something significant it usually allows you to also understand what you value so Mm. if you go losing my job well what is it that's losing my job oh it means i won't have an income why is that significant because i won't be able to look after my family to your earlier point that's the bit that's important and it's that self-understanding in that moment if you are able to get down to the root cause, but also knowing why you react in certain ways. And as you've just said, you know, sometimes you react kick ass, come on, let's solve this, let's go. And sometimes it's, you know, actually, no, I can't say no, what would they think of me? There would have been two different triggers that have triggered you, also depending on how vulnerable or how in control you feel on any given day. So those flow diagrams will act out in different ways on different days based on how you're thinking and the trigger that's at play as well. 
And most people will allow those triggers to happen, follow the thought, follow the pattern. And the key is to not just let it happen, is to interrupt it with a more conscious thought. Because that, I'm going to end up on the streets, is very unconscious. You're unlikely to even know that's what's driving the fear. So the fear becomes, I've got to be brilliant at my job and I've got to keep earning money. The thing that actually, like you say, at the bottom of the spiral, which is my family, doesn't become the priority in a way. So even though that's the thing that's driving the behaviour, it becomes the thing that you pay less attention to. Because you're afraid of losing it all and then you're off on the streets, you're working your ass off and not spending any time with the people that matter. That's mm-hmm. the irony. Breaking that cycle, being aware of the choices and the thoughts you're having to make those choices. And it's not easy, but it's something I'm certainly doing more and more of now. And tell the listeners, for those that aren't aware of your journey, why now? Why now? Well, Abby, (laughs) in May last year, so as you know, chief and founder of Glow London, I was also on the exec team of The Social Element, who you know well, lovely Tamara Littleton's organisation. I have got four children from 21 down to six, which means I've got sex, drugs and rock and roll, or sex, drugs and nursery rhymes, actually, we call it, going on every day in this house. And actually my two eldest children, I don't refer to them as steps because step children, you always think of kind of every other Wednesday and occasionally pop over from their mums. But I've had those two living with me full time since they were like seven and nine. So they really are my kids. And all the complexities that comes with a blended family and a mother that lives 8,000 miles away. So mum of four, Two businesses, effectively, that, you know, I was kind of deep into. Also, trustee of a charity, the wonderful Marketing Academy Foundation, a rep at school. So my six-year-old, then five-year-old in reception. So I'm a rep. I was also on the PTA at school, running all the comms. Somebody, as you know, who just always puts their hand up to say yes to anything, organises everything. And I working really hard. I'd been in the Marketing Academy in New York. I then, I think a couple of weeks later, I was in Chicago. And then with just a two-day gap, I came home and then went back to the States to go to New York with the benefit of hindsight. I should have possibly gone straight from Chicago to New York. So it's now day five in New York. I had lots of weeks of traveling. We've had a week of the exec team meetings for the social element in New York. And we've been out late, up early. I've been running and knowing I was sort of, you know, eating a lot and drinking a lot and not sleeping much. I was trying to keep my mind and body connection well with exercise. So I was getting up in the morning and doing some running down by the Hudson. Actually, on the day that in question of this incident, I got up and done a hit class in my bedroom of the hotel, then packed my case to leave the hotel. We were sat having brunch before we got off light and I stood up to go to the loo and fell down apparently gracefully slid down the back of a chair, I'm glad to say. And basically my heart stopped working. I had a a cardiac arrest, which you can get from having a heart attack. But on this occasion, there was no heart attack. I do not have any pre-existing conditions. I do not have any problems with my heart. My heart is cholesterol free. It's arteries are not blocked. So there was nothing that could ever imagine this would happen. There was a thing called ventricular fibrillation, which I don't know if you remember Christian Eriksen, the footballer, it happened to him on the pitch during the Euros. But yeah, the ventricular fibrillation is when one of the ventricles in the heart has electronic pulses that are moving the ventricle so fast that the heart can't pump. So basically I stopped breathing completely. The lovely Tamara and Lynn Frost, who's also the MD at Social Element, 
thankfully acted very quickly, could see I wasn't breathing and shouted call 911 and people in the restaurant could see there was a commotion and they asked if anyone could help and three people, what are the odds on this, stood up and two were doctors and one was a medic and they rushed over and basically gave me CPR and saved my life. But had I made it to the loo, which was where I was going, I would not be here had it happened in the morning while I was in my hotel room, had it happened on the plane. I mean, God forbid a million times it happened now at home where we got this ambulance issue, blah, 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 because my heart stopped again in the ambulance, apparently. And at that point, they really didn't think I was going to make it. And then two rounds of defibrillator later, they got it back again. And I ended up in ICU for eight days. But, you know, the listeners can hear and you can see I have made a complete recovery. They don't know what caused it. So at the moment, it's considered idiopathic. There's no genetic disorder that we found yet. We're still having tests. I've got an MRI on Wednesday, which I'm really scared about. I hate MRIs because I'm massively claustrophobic. But yes, ultimately, the theory is that it was just a perfect storm of a lot of stress combined with lots of coffee. I was out late, so I was drinking a lot of coffee to keep myself awake, drinking lots of espresso martinis, which I love. Not that exercise is ever bad, but I was really pushing it. You know, running when you're a size 22, possibly not the best form of exercise. And I did hate it, I have to say. I don't run anymore. I'm not sad. There's something quite wonderful about it because it's so bloody hard. But therein lies the rub, right? I'll do this really horrible thing that I hate that's hard and then I'll feel okay about myself. What's that about? And, you know, my husband's an actor, as you know, and he travels a lot. So he was away at the same time as me. So I was very worried about the kids. No one else carries the sort of mental load like I do, whether they've got piano or a play date or, you know, gymnastics, all that stuff. So just that kind of worrying about what was going on at home. I don't know, just this perfect storm of stress and overdoing it. That's the only thing they can point it to. But bloody hell, I mean, A, to not make myself in a position where physically that could happen, but also the new perspective that's given me when you really are. I mean, only one in 10 people survive an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And of those one in 10, 60% get brain damaged. So, you know, fuck me if I got some big angels up there. And my kids came very close to losing their mum. And I don't want that to happen again. And also, oh my God, I nearly didn't get to watch them grow up. So... How much am I going to prioritise that now? So, yes, there's a massive realisation in the way you live your life when you come that bloody close and personal to death. What's the madness I've been running on and what are the choices I've been making and why haven't I been prioritising me more? Because I think for a lot of working parents, I'm going to say it, I know it's contentious, but particularly mums, we don't put ourselves first. We put everyone else first. And now I'm like, okay, there's got to be a better balance. So I knew the story, but it doesn't matter how many times I hear it, Emma, it still gets me every time. And I know, see Lynn and Tamara as well, who are with you as well as your good self, like every time. And I think it gets me not just because I love you, but because... I relate. I relate massively mm. with everything mm. that you just described, you know, and the running a business, which I dropped. I lasted two terms on PTA for what it's worth. It spiraled me. But commitments, pressures, illnesses in the family, the mother's mental load. And actually, it's not contentious. It's actually been scientifically proven that the mental load that mothers carry is not only more significant, but actually requires more sleep in order Mm. to process all the things that we are worrying about. You know, my son's gone on a school trip today. He is constantly in my mind, as is the Mm. packed lunch, what goes in the packed lunch, will Mm. he be okay? All of that. 
all of that this morning on top of everything else that's going down in my world. I'm sure there's many listeners here having a deep breath like me going, that could have been me. And thank you for sharing the story because I hope in those listening here will also allow them moments of realisation and to take a step back and go, why am I doing all the things that I'm doing? And how can I slow down? And what can I stop doing? Because it's not actually serving me. There's just a thought in my head that if I don't do that, I'm going to let someone down or they'll feel ill of me or whatever that may be for them. Absolutely. Well, the fact that that story resonates with so many people is not a coincidence. You know, I think you're right. The pandemic is mental health. And I look around at most of my friends who are working mums and we all feel like we're failing at everything, (laughs) slightly failing at everything. You're never there enough for your kids and you're never there enough at work. And that's really difficult thing to come to terms with. And Jacinda Ahern, who recently resigned, you know, Mm. what a fantastic example of a brilliant woman who knows when she's done enough. And shame on you. I think it was it the Daily Mail, the BBC with their can women really have it all? You know, fuck off, BBC. You know, she did it really well for brilliantly for five years. But she's recognised that she's got nothing left in the tank. And I'm sure, you know, I put a post on LinkedIn. I mean, not the wisest thing I've ever done, if I'm honest, because my team had kept what happened to me very quiet till we knew I was in the clear. And my kids obviously did not know. My husband flew out that night, not knowing whether I was going to make it. They thought he was coming to be really romantic and pick me up from New York and spend some time with me here. And, you know, a lot of my clients didn't know. But there I am left with my phone in ICU and at half past two in the morning when I can't sleep. And I'm lying there thinking, how the fuck did this happen? I put a post with a picture of myself, you know, tubes up my nose, lying on a pillow in the hospital saying... The story I've just told you, you know, here I am, mama for blah, blah, blah. I always a mensch putting their hands up. And don't be me. Let's pay attention. We've all got to slow the fuck. And I put this hashtag, slow the fuck down, which is what we started talking about. And it went completely viral. I mean, nine million views, which you just don't even get on LinkedIn. You know, it's that's the kind of Instagram kind of number. I was checking out the other day, even Bill Gates gets on a really big post about a million. I mean, it's just, I'm literally, as Sherilyn Shackle said to me, you broke LinkedIn. <laughs> Nine million views, 93,000 people responded with a like or a care or whatever. And then nearly 9,000 people commented, which obviously I haven't read them all, but you read some of them. There's women who are still in touch with me who are saying, you know, I've just read your post and it stopped me in my tracks. I am you. I'm reading exactly what you just said. I'm listening to my own life and playing it back. And thank you for sharing your story. I met one man who talked about in marketing, he worked for an agency, was on his way to a pitch, knew he was having a heart attack, carried on with the pitch and afterwards said to the suit, can you drive me to a and I mean, what the hell? Mm. How can you prioritise winning a bit of business over your life? The fact that it resonated so much that I had, you know, something like 2,000 people shared it. I was at a dinner a few weeks ago and a woman, when I told that story, sort of almost, she was tearful and came up to me and said, I remember your post, you changed my life. So, you know, there is a real issue in our industry, well, in the world, but I do think our industry is absolutely exemplary of a culture where you work hard, you play hard, and it's almost worn as a badge Mm. of honour. And I remember being that person in my younger years before I had kids, expecting people to be out partying as late as me or they weren't in some way kind of in the gang. And I'm ashamed that I did that. But yes, I think... 
there is a real issue and people need to stop and think about how they want to look after this thing that we're walking around in, which is called a body, because it's not just going to go on forever. And the bit upstairs that's running the ship as well, the mind. Yeah. And I'd go one step further and also say your soul. We do so much thinking with our heads, but we so often forget to feel and listen to what our soul is telling us as well. I always think the answer lies within. We just need to give ourselves the space to listen. Well, you know, I've been this week. I do. I mean, you know, I would never have made that choice before. So this week, for those who don't know, and listeners, I had a week in Portugal at a place called Juicy Oasis, where I spent the whole week doing yoga and mindfulness and going on hikes. Wake up in the morning, first thing you do is an hour of yoga, then you do a hike. Sometimes I'd also slide in a workout before my first juice. So no food, just juice and soup in the evening which is like the highlight of the day. I cannot tell you, I've never (laughs) enjoyed two more. But, you know, and just time and space to think for a reset because I would never have done that before. Abby, I would never have given myself a week away from the kids. I would have thought the world would end. You know, how can I be so selfish as to think that I can have a week where I'm not working and I'm not looking after my kids? And I did it for me. And I'm really proud of myself. And actually, you know, the world didn't end. The kids were fine. My husband was nearly broken when I got home. I think between the kids and the dog. So one of the things I've done as well since my cardiac arrest is get a dog because I've always wanted a dog and I'm not putting anything off anymore. And we grew up with dogs and I just couldn't bear that I wasn't living with one anymore. There's eight and he's beautiful. Old. He's he is beautiful. beautiful. My eight month old Labrador lying by my feet right now as we speak, snoring. But yeah, I think by the time I got home, Danny was ready to throw the children and the dog at me. <laughs> he's away a lot and I do that on my own a lot. So I think even that was really good for him to get a sense of empathy as to what I go through. And entrepreneur, and I'm sure he might listen to this, but I'm sure he won't. Last night, when sort of we put the kids to bed, normally that's the time where I'm coming back downstairs to empty the dishwasher or clean the kitchen, put the washing on, get everything ready for today, because I know that mornings are horrendous. And he just quietly came and did it with me. And he doesn't normally. And I think that was huge. It's probably been a period of realisation for him as well, of actually Mm. how much you do do Mm. and how much we do that we probably don't need to do. We're just not very good at asking for help because we've got this unconscious bias in us about how we should be behaving as mothers and wives and and Mm. all of the above. It's always hard to separate, isn't it? How much of that is pressure from yourself or pressure from other people? What One of the things, again, with this sort of making better choices thing is just noticing, is that me or is that that I'm not who I think I am and who you think I think I am thing. Well, you think you have to do it. Or actually, is it what you want to do? It's not, it's hard to separate the two. Like, I'm obsessed with not having a full sink. I cannot bear it in this dish in the sink. But is that because I actually can't bear it? Or because I feel like if people came into my house and saw that, they judge me? Hard to separate the two. Yeah. Or did you have a lived experience where maybe in the house that you grew up with or someone that was of authority around you, an auntie or someone that made comment about their sink and you've just went, oh, okay, clocked that subconsciously. That's how a kitchen should look. Mm, Well, my mum, she'd come home from work. God forbid a million times there'd be a bowl in the sink. Oh, my God, you'd get a smack. Bowl in the sink or a pair of shoes by the front door. My God, no way. So, no, you're absolutely right. That's my lived experience. Yeah, those lived experiences that form us, they form us. Mm. But it's about being aware of when they're triggering us to do something that we don't need to do. Back to what you said right at the beginning of the podcast around you always have a choice. You always have a choice. Mm. It doesn't always feel like it, though. It doesn't. And look, 
there are things that we have to do. You know, did I enjoy cleaning up my dog's poo this morning? Of course not. <laughs> Said no one ever. And I stood in it just to add insult to injury. One of those mornings. It was one of those mornings. On top of that packed lunch as well, Emma, that I oh, had to, you know, yeah. My children, apart from school trips, my children are not allowed to go on packed lunch. Thankfully, they both have got really good appetites. They love all food. And I'm like, no, that is one thing I've always avoided. It's just not worth the stress. That's what I always say when I'm like, no, I'm not their mom to about my stepkids, but I'm the one that did years of pack lunches. That for me is like, I burnt my spurs. But yeah, I do think it doesn't feel like, I'm just having empathy. It doesn't feel like you have a choice. And I really want to stress that because I feel like sometimes when I talk about pass the mic to kick ass or just take a moment to live in the present, because a lot of the time we're either worrying about something that's already happened that we can't change or plutzing about something that hasn't happened yet. So we spend most of our lives in our head, either in the past or the future. And you know, I always encourage people just to land in the present. That's a really great way to be grounded, land in this actual second that you're living in now. I know I'm always talking about the tools and the ways to do it. And it's not always easy, but you can do it. I agree with you. It's not easy. It's not easy mm. to be in the present. I sit there meditating, thinking about all the things that I want to do, home improvement projects in the house, <laughs> what's on my to-do list, try and bring it back to the meditation, think about the email that I've got to send when I get off. You know, it's like I have a mind that is always whirling mm. and it does take considerable amount of effort to not only do the work to understand, but to also practice what you preach and put into place the things that you know that will help. Nothing's a quick win. So it all takes time and effort. It does. But one of the other things I've been talking about a lot is this sort of manifest don't stress. So I'm a big believer in setting outcomes and the power of visualization. I, I'm somebody who has lived my life like that for a long time. And I do it every day in the smallest of ways and in the biggest of ways. So I'm always encouraging people to, if you're in a stuck state or you feel overwhelmed by stuff that you have to do, rather than go, right, when am I going to do that? And I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And, you know, trying to go from this point, what's the tiny step I need to make forward to get to the end point I want to just start at the end point. So something I do quite often is to do set yearly outcomes. So I'll go, right, go into the future, pick a date. Okay, it's January the 30th, 2024. And describe that day, go into that day of I am doing this and describe it in all areas of your life, from your home life to work life, to relationships, your health, your finances, whatever it is you want to sort of improve. And you create that ideal day in your head. You look around your house, you see all the things that have improved. You know, you really notice them. You're going to work thinking about, okay, maybe you might be cycling to work or walking to work and thinking, oh, that's because, and you talk about things in the past that haven't even happened yet. Well, since last February, I've been walking to work and I started doing yoga every morning. And so you can actually set that outcome. And rather than go, okay, I need to step off here and make these changes, you go to the future. It's like programming a sat nav. What you're doing is you're programming your unconscious mind to then achieve all that. I'm not saying you close your eyes and imagine you're going to be a supermodel tomorrow, because I think, you know, as much as you and I would love to, that ship has sailed at our age. But what you're doing is creating the best possible outcome for you. That's within your sort of controllables. And your brain, your unconscious mind doesn't know time. That's why that obsession we have about living in the past or the future feels so real when we're doing that. You can blush from thinking of something that's happened in the past that's embarrassing or go cold at the thought of something happening to one of your kids that's not happened yet because your unconscious mind doesn't understand that time. So in doing visualizations and outcome settings, what you're doing is you're convincing your brain it has already got it. And therefore, 
or the decisions that your unconsciously will make and your unconscious mind makes 99.9% of the decisions you make, not really your conscious mind, your unconscious mind will take you to that future. This isn't just airy fairy magic stuff. There's actually a part of your brain called the RAS. Yeah, articulating, activating system. Activating system, love it. It's exactly, you're programming your RAS, which is the thing that selects what you notice. Because you can only actually notice seven plus or minus two bits of information at any one time, whereas you're receiving millions of them. So it's your RAS that's noticing the car when you think, oh, suddenly everyone's got the same car as me. I've got this new car. Now I'm seeing millions of them everywhere. Well, it's not true. There aren't suddenly millions of them everywhere. It's just you can't possibly notice every car that you drive past. So your RAF is the thing that will go, oh, that's the same car as me. And in the same way, the RAS will notice opportunities. Or if you visualised, I don't know, a new bedside table in your visualisation, your RAS when you're flicking through a magazine or you're flicking through Pinterest, will notice that bedside table. Therefore, you will buy it. So it's not magic. It's just setting outcomes. We do it every day in the smallest of ways. I did it before I got on this podcast, imagining that you would send me a message afterwards saying, Emma, that was amazing, which now you will have to, whether you think so or not. But, you know, I did, I've got a workshop this afternoon. I've been away for a week, so I was feeling a bit anxious about it this morning. So I just focused on the drive home, knowing that I'm going to feel fabulous, that it went really well. I do it with parking or have parking fairies me and the kids do it we'll be driving somewhere go right where's the parking fairy gonna let us be now so yes for me that overwhelm that's a really great way to focus your meditational thoughts on the future rather than now which feels much harder 100% preach I've written all about the RAS in my book also um, Uh, and vision boarding and the importance uh, of getting off and setting goals and meditating and de all of that de all of that Emma preach speaking the same language as always as always so thank you so much so far for your time on today's podcast i would love to hear although it feels a bit random asking you to do career highs and lows after you've just told me your story but i'd love to hear your career highs and lows my career highs, I mean, I can't help but think of the moment I stood on the platform at St Pancras Station in 2007, November the 14th, when we opened St Pancras and the first train left. And I've been at Eurostar at that point, I think six years. And for a year and a half of that, I'd worked on the change management from the move from Waterloo to St Pancras. And it was an enormous project. You know, I was in sales. So to go into that, which I'd never done anything like that before, and it took me out of my little commercial bubble. And it meant me being responsible for taking the entire organisation, 1,500 people across three countries, plus SNCF and SNCB, plus the trade for the whole of the country and all those other countries. And in the US as well, through that journey of why we're moving and how we're moving and what's going to be. And, you know, you look back now and our whole proposition was all about the fact that it was a monumental move. It wasn't just moving the station. It was changing the way people think about travel to Europe. And when we opened that station, it was not ready. It was six months too early. The the team didn't have mess rooms. They didn't have heating. It was actually behind the scenes, a bit of a shit show. But from the front, because we'd engaged the hearts and minds of the people so meticulously through that 18 months period, when the cameras were there on the day we opened, everyone smiled and the headlines were perfect and it got the attention it needed and it drove the change that it needed to do and it was a huge success. And I think that for me 
it's got to be a huge achievement. And it's the thing when I look at where I am at now and at Glow, we are a brand consultancy, but our big thing is that brand can't just be an external message. It can't just be what I call the pretty wrapping paper. It's got to be something that runs right the way through the bloodline of a business. And that journey of taking people on that journey, that's what we do now with our clients. We take the strategy for the brand and the proposition and we align everyone behind it and drive change. And the people bit has always been the bit I love, which is why. As you can hear, I do a lot of mentoring and coaching and helping people be the sort of best version of themselves. And that for me was sort of the beginning of that journey of that love of, wow, you can really influence people for the positive. So that's probably a big high. Setting up Glow, I had a big vision about a few years after I jumped out of Eurostar. And that is really bloody scary. And if anyone is listening who has got a big job and is thinking about jumping out for whatever reason, maybe some of the things we've talked about already, jump and the net will catch you is the thing I always say. It's really scary though, because when you have a job which you see at identity level, i.e. I am Emma Harris from Eurostar, which I was for 10 years, to come out of that and suddenly you're just Emma Harris and you don't have £23 million to spend, which means all the agency folk in the world are right up your arse and you don't naturally get invited to everything. And when you meet people, you don't really know what to say. It's really scary. There was one point where I know lots of people listening of our age have got real issues with their parents, but sadly I've lost both of mine now. But this was a time when both of them were really ill and that is so crippling. It's really hard, again, with the load you're carrying to also be thinking about elderly parents is really tough as you well know and my parents are both ill and I jumped out of Eurostar and I had an 18 month old baby and I just didn't know who I was I had my first child of my own out late in life and I had a session with my coach and she made me do some timeline therapy which I'm sure you know what that is but for those of you that don't it's a, a way of accessing how you see the past and how you see the future in order to change how you see things because obviously all your thoughts and feelings don't exist therefore you can change them and it's a particular way of doing it and in this timeline therapy we went to a future sorry got round to my vision eventually where I was in a very bad way and she said right let's go to your future timeline and let's find some light and I was like it's all black and she said well there must be some light then I was like no it's all black and I was crying she said find me a pinprick of light so I did eventually and she said okay go down into it so I went into this pinprick of light She's how you sort of dive down into the moment in your timeline. And she said, what's going on? And I said, I'm at an event. I'm announcing, I'm on stage and I'm announcing a partnership with another company. I don't know what it is. And everyone's cheering and I'm, I'm coming off the stage and I'm drinking champagne. And she maybe described what I was wearing. And she said, is there a name of a company anywhere? And I said, I can see a pop-up board as if I'd ever had a pop-up board at an event. But anyway, and there's some orange words, but I can't read it. And it's like two letters, then an O, then another one or two letters. And there's some kind of fiery fire or something under the orange or something brownie orange. But I can't read what the word is. And she said, where are you? And I said, I think I'm at the Shard. When we came out of that sort of visualisation, which you do in a sort of slightly hypnotic state, I was like, what the fuck was that? What was that word? And why was it orange? I'm never going to have an orange logo. I'm all about silver or blue or I'm not just a not an orange person. Anyway, I've got the moleskin that for days after, and I was in the process of sort of, you know, doing some consultancy and thinking about setting up the business. And I got the moleskin where I was writing. Was it cloud? What was that word? Was it grow? And I know exactly where I was. The square, the where the IPA building is, Belgrave Square. 
walking across Zebra Crossing and the word glow came to my head. And I thought, oh my God, that's it. That's what the word was. And also it was perfect because I'm very glowy as you knew. And, <laughs> and I kept thinking, was it grow? And then I wanted the word London in there. And glow is grow and London combined. And it's very me. So that's how I came up with the word glow. How weird is that? Had I seen it or was that already in my head? Anyway, and then five years later, and I'd forgotten about that vision apart from coming up with the name. One of my clients who I've been an NED on their board for some time, a business called Planet K2, the chief and wonderful founder, Keith Hatter, came to me and said, I want to buy a brand consultancy and I want to buy you. And I was like, there's nothing much to buy. It's just me. Blah, blah. Anyway, we ended up buying 30% of the business and we wanted to have a party to announce it and celebrate it. And I thought, actually, we were going to have an event and we were thinking, do we do a speaking event or blah, blah. Then eventually we just, let's just have a party. And I started looking at venues and suddenly I remembered the vision. And I will not tell you the lengths that it took me to get that event at the Shard. But I didn't look anywhere else. It was way over budget. I managed to find a way. By hook or by crook, I made it. And there was, on the 19th of March, 2019, we had an event at the Shard. I was on the stage. I had my Glow logo, which, as you know, is orange. And I actually sent it at one point to my designer saying, can we do this in blue? And he came back saying, sorry, it's better in orange. And I didn't tell him about the visualization. Love that. So yeah, it happened. And I started off by telling that story. And actually someone came up to me with a glass of champagne as I came off the stage. I've given you the abridged version, but there were some details in the vision that I thought I wasn't going to be able to achieve. And then things happened and it's uncanny. So that was a real career highlight. Sorry, I've gone on about that so much. But yes, so the launch of my business, that was quite an amazing moment. And then Lowe's, I got fired once from an organisation. I'd been really badly bullied. It was a really difficult time for me. I lost a baby. My mum had just died. And I came into this business as an interim. I was the first female, new female on the board for eight years. It was a very bullish, very toxic culture. And I tried to challenge everything they were doing in my way and ended up they found some stupid way to kick me out that was very humiliating. And I stood on the platform at the station on my way home, crying on my phone to the same coach. And she was saying, what do you want? What do you want? And I was like, I want him to die, this particular person. And she said, no, no, what do you want? And I eventually started describing what I wanted. And I can't talk about it in too much detail because I'll be naming the brand. But within about three months, I was doing exactly what I'd visioned doing in another part of the business, much closer to the top. And it all came good. But that was a real low. And I think everyone probably does at some point go through those moments where you're either caught in a perfect storm or there's somebody who has terrible leadership behavior or your just face doesn't fit whatever and I would say anyone experiencing that at the moment or has experienced that just know that at some point you'll look back and go that was a great moment where I learned a lot and I know it was just part of the journey and it wasn't me you know how can I've gone from being top talent at Eurostar and you know to someone whose integrity is questioned in that way so it's all good learning Never a mistake, always a learning. And as you say, you know, it's one moment in your whole lifetime, but at those moments, they don't feel like that. And so for those that are feeling those moments, this will pass and it will just be one part of your whole journey of your life. It absolutely will pass. And remember that other people's behaviour is not your responsibility. All you can do is control your own behaviour, your own thoughts. You can't change other people. It's up to you to choose how you respond in those moments. That's the most important thing, your response to anything, not other people. It feels unfair to ask you the final question, being that you've given us so much advice throughout today's podcast, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow? 
Oh God, I have given a lot. So listen to everything I've said on this podcast, number one. I think <laughs> it's time for change and you are the people that can change it. I remember not long ago when there was a whole kind of, all oh, these millennials, they don't work very hard, do they? You know, these millennials, they work to rule and they're all about purpose and thinking that they were mad, but they've got a real fucking point. And I believe that the generation coming through, the millennial, the Gen Z generation, who are very purpose-led and I think naturally have much more of a attention they do pay more attention to themselves their mental state and their physical state be the change be the change you want to see because our industry can't go on being that work hard play hold culture and prioritizing yourself and having a genuine duty of care to others that's going to create great work people who have space and time to think are more creative and we work in a creative industry so be the change you want to see that's my big thing there you go. You heard it here. The whole marketer. Be the change you want to see. And thank you so, so much for your time and sharing so openly and bravely, Emma, on today's podcast. It's been wonderful. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning into the Whole Marketer podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, soft and leadership skills and behaviours and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build Whole Marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com. Thank you.